Hello, welcome back to On The House. Uh, We're now halfway through the election campaign, which so far has been full of twists, turns and gaffes. New tactical voting advice has been published by Best for Britain. It's been viewed by millions already, and it can help you find out the best way of supporting a pro-EU candidate at this election. You can find the tool at getvoting.org. This week, we've taken the show on the road, or more precisely, about 45 minutes on the train from our usual haunts in Westminster. I'm Dr Philip Lee, parliamentary candidate in uh, the Working Constituency. We find ourselves in tonight because we're at the George Pub in Winnersh. And in terms of guests this week, it's a bumper episode. My first guest will need little introduction. You'll have heard his voice during the recent international football break and on television commentary for over 20 years, perhaps most memorably during the Champions League final in 2005. He's also a vocal campaigner for a second referendum and has spoken about how his business and ours, the media, has let down the public over Brexit. The legendary Clive Tilsley joins me tonight. Clive, welcome to the On The House. Thank you very much indeed for having me. Uh, Let me declare my preference straight away before I start asking you difficult questions and people start to wonder about me. I am going to vote Lib Dem in this constituency. Uh, I bet you in the last few weeks you're a man who shares my values and and views to a large extent and um, of the main parties, the Lib Dem manifesto is closest to those values. Um... I am an avowed Remainer, so uh, there is really only one party for me to vote for here. I just want to, before we introduce your other main guest, tell you a story about my mum. My mum is 91, and she phoned me two days ago to ask me how she should vote. And I said, well, it's not for me to tell you, mum, but I will ask you some questions. And she said, well, before you go any further, Jeremy Corbyn is too old and too set in his ways. Joe Swinson, I don't think she's experienced enough. And the Prime Minister just keeps lying to me all the time. Now, question one, should my mum become chief political correspondent for ITV instead of Robert Peston? Is she a bit closer to the hub of this than he is? And secondly, Alistair Campbell, welcome. The single biggest deciding factor in how people will vote in this election is what? Will they vote for their local MP? Will they vote on EU membership? Will they vote on a manifesto or for a particular policy or... Are they voting for the next Prime Minister? Well, I mean, one thing you can be guaranteed is on the morning of December 13, whatever the result is, political correspondents will tell you exactly what happened and why it happened, even if it goes against what they've been saying (laughs) is going to happen now. None of us know. Um, And I think that this is an even bigger none-of-us-know election than we've ever had because I think you're seeing all sorts of churn going on. I mean, it's, you know, if you think about it, you're a lifelong Labour member, I'm a lifelong Labour member, and we're both sitting here in Wokingham, you live here, I don't, but we're both sitting here because in this constituency, if I lived here, I would also vote for Philip to get rid of John Redwood, because the Labour Party are trading a pretty poor third, so I'm very much into that. Yeah, mine's not a tactical vote, I've now changed, I know, I, I'm changed. a lapsed Labour Party member. No, I get member. that, so you, that's your reason, right, there will be other people here who will, there, there might be Remainers here who absolutely despise John Redwood, like a lot of people do. But they think, I can't vote anything but Tory. So some people will vote for all of those reasons that you said. But I do think that we're, more than any other election that I've ever known, I think we are, in the main, in the kind of least worst option. 
people are looking at both the candidates for Prime Minister. I've got to be honest, I think Philip's leader, Joe Swinson, made a mistake with all that I'm standing here as your next Prime Minister stuff. I just think people, you know, keep it real. And I think there are two people who might become uh, Prime Minister, Johnson or Corbyn, and I think most of the public are looking at them and thinking, we don't really want either, but they know they've got to make a choice. So I think it's one of those elections where... Here, for example, I suspect, I've been talking, you know, Philip and I have been out and about and talking to Philip in the pub just now. I suspect that here, having John Redwood as your MP, uh, as your sitting MP, is such a long-serving MP, been around for so long, so identified with Brexit in a seat like this, I suspect that is a big advantage to, to Philip. I think in other seats, yesterday, for example, I was in Putney. Classic example, Justin Greening was the MP. Um, very, by all accounts, pretty popular MP, quit for much the same reasons I suspect as, as Philip did, just couldn't stomach this sort of Johnson Brexit Tory party. So I met the Liberal Democrat and later spoke to the Labour candidate, and they were both pretty much saying the same thing about what their beliefs were, about what their passions were. They were, like you and me, passionate Remainers and so forth. But I have a horrible feeling that the Tory might get in there because the vote's going to be split. So I think it is an election where local circumstances are going to become incredibly important and people have really, really got to think, if like you, if like me, their big motivation is Brexit, they've really got to think about how they stop Johnson getting a majority. Uh, Well, I bow to your analysis because, Alistair, how many general elections are you involved centrally in? Well, there are only only three that I admit to because we won all three. Uh, <laughs> so that'll few, be that'll be about seven then everybody no, no, a, few before, a, few, a few before that as a journalist and i was involved in 2010 and 2015 okay well we, we we know your expertise in this area and indeed your your ability to analyze what is the key factor here but if as as i suspect philip the key factor is johnson corbyn or swinson why is the most popular of those three people still Despite it all, despite all of the lies, despite all of the jokes about him, despite all of the bluster, why is Boris Johnson still the most popular of those three leaders? Look, I mean, I lay in bed at night thinking about this, and um, I mean, I'm sort of burdened with too much knowledge about the man, and it baffles me. Well, share it. Well, this is not a man to be trusted. This is a man who his actions, his words. You know, the, the racist language in articles, the way he chooses to lead his life, his lack of respect for others. And it's it's beyond me that what you're saying is true. So why doesn't it stick? Why but doesn't I, our curious stick? Well, why I mean, doesn't Russia stick? Why doesn't it stick? Well, this is it. I mean, it's the, it's the Trump phenomenon, isn't it? I mean, how can somebody so inappropriate end up as US president? And I think we're seeing our own version of it here. I think he does the whole shtick around the ruffled hair, and the, he's a bit of a ch- he's, he's a bit of a bloke. It's Boris. It's different for him. Nothing. It's like the Teflon politician. Um, I think he, in comparison to Corbyn, I think most people in this part of the world will hold their nose and vote Johnson instead of uh, to stop Corbyn. They they view Corbyn in this part of the world as more of a threat to their way of life. In inverted commas than Johnson, but that, that you detect on the doorsteps around here a lack of enthusiasm for both of them, actually. Um, I think he always, we live in this sort of celebrity age, I guess, and Johnson has a bit of celebrity about him. He's 
he's done it on you know have I got news for you he's he was the sort of mayor in the Olympics it's this character he's a bit of a character isn't he he didn't win the Olympics um, though no he didn't no 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 I know um, and and but I'm I'm sort of I'm as bemused as you are. Um, I find it remarkable that this so-called man of the people to deliver the people's will with his background and with all of the other nonsense that you've quite rightly just highlighted, how on earth can it be the case? But actually, I think we're living in an age where people are easily manipulated. I think the Vote Leave team, who are instrumental at the moment in this election, know how to appeal to heart more than head. They come up with sort of phrases like unleash the potential, as if somehow we couldn't before. Take back control, and you say, well, of what? It's this sense that somehow to be patriotic is to be a Brexiteer, even though the Union Jack they're wrapping themselves in is going to have to change its appearance in the next 10 years as Northern Ireland gets uh, rejoins the Republic of Ireland and Scotland secedes from the Home Union. Um, it is baffling. It's deeply frustrating. I mean, I think Alistair and I were... I mean, busy, this is your you know, chosen specialist subject, Alistair. I mean, if, if, if know your enemy, I guess, is part of the strategy in, 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 in politics as in anything. If you were involved with either party centrally, if you were opposing Dominic Cummings at this moment, what would you do in the next two weeks to try to dispel the myth about Boris Johnson? Oh, well, I think what, what you see in the last few weeks is the, the truism that you don't win or lose campaigns in elections in the last couple of weeks. You win them over a parliament, you lose them over a parliament. So if you take um, <clears throat> Jeremy Corbyn's interview the other day with Andrew Neil, um, okay, it was defined as a car crash. Now, why was it defined as a car crash? Because issues which have been bubbling as Labour problems for years, which the Labour Party has constantly said, when they've not really been that properly challenged over it, say by the media and not in a sustained way, they say they've dealt with it, and then actually, in truth, they haven't. So you... Once you get into the heat of a campaign, your weaknesses, your strengths become apparent, but your weaknesses become apparent as well. But the Conservatives have got those weaknesses the too. The Conservatives have got massive weaknesses, but we go back to the point in a way that Philip was making, is that normally in our system, if you have a government that people think, I don't like that government, I don't like the look of that Prime Minister, I don't trust him, what has happened historically in our system is that people then say, well, there's, there's an obvious alternative over there. And that is where the problem has arisen. And then I think if you add to the fact that we are, and it is amazing to me that it's happened in Britain, of all the European countries, this could happen first, as it were, that Britain has become the first place where we are following in this um, uh, post-truth, uh, post-shame Americanization, so that where, you know, Trump was elected by American people knowing he was a racist, knowing he was a liar, knowing that he was, you know, misogynist. Though it wasn't as if it was a secret, and yet they elected him. And I think if we do the same with Johnson now, it basically says that we have, we have given up on a lot of the, the long-standing norms of democratic politics. And that's why it's such a big thing. So what I think, what all you can do now, I mean, I was saying to Philip earlier, what I would do if I was Labour is not going to happen, but I'll tell you what I would do if I was them. I know it's not going to happen. If you look at these, this massive poll that was published uh, by the Times, the so-called MRP poll, it's perfectly obvious that 
and you've got to be truthful about what public opinion is saying. It looks like Johnson's going to get a majority. It looks like he might get a big majority. Now, Labour, of course, their response will be, oh, well, the polls, and we've got two weeks, we can show them wrong. Well, maybe. More truthful, I think, would be to say, okay, this looks like he's going to win. We've already seen that even with a little bit of power, this guy is a menace because he's so unreliable and untrustworthy. With a lot of power, he is a real men- a real danger to the future of the country, our prosperity, our standing in the world, and so forth. I think even better then would be to say there are quite evidently seats where the Labour Party is not going to win and has no chance of winning, but somebody else might. Therefore, I, Jeremy Corbyn, will say to candidates in those seats, stop campaigning, pull out, go and urge them to vote for the person who can win. Now, I say that knowing there is zero chance of that happening, yeah. but that is what I would do. I mean, you've been on the doorsteps, Philip. It's tactical voting almost beyond the decency of British people. Do, do they actually want to vote with their hearts rather than, if they're Remainers, you know, vote for somebody who makes that less more possible. It, it, is it difficult to convince people, actually, it would be better, I know you don't really think that, but it would be better if you voted that way. Yeah, I mean, it is sometimes. I mean, I have a phrase, look, even if you have to hold your nose, vote for me, because the alternative is John Redwood, yeah? So that type of conversation takes place, and for most people around here... They're getting it. Not actually from me. They're picking it up online. They're realising, they're reading the papers, they're watching the television. They're beginning to realise. They know what the local election results have been recently. And they can see the alternative punt, the best bet. But for some people, they get quite... And I sort of respect this. They're quite passionate. You know, um, some of them, true socialists, they want to vote for a Labour vision for the country. And they like I, Corbyn. I, I get that. Yeah, I get that. And I and you with Green. And that's how it should be, yeah. isn't it? We yeah. should have somebody to vote. Absolutely. For. And not the, against. But the problem is, is the first past the post system, is is that in this seat and indeed in Guildford and all the other sort of Lib Dem seats and Albans, you can win them with 37 percent of the vote, and so for for anybody to win against an incumbent who's got a significant majority you have to coalesce in one column to beat them and so the frustrating thing and i had a couple of interactions this afternoon locally with people who were determined to vote for jeremy corbyn's labor party and i said okay i respect that and that's your choice we live in a democracy but you do know that the upshot of that will be the absolute opposite of what you want and it's and it's difficult because i don't want to tell people how to vote clive but I, you know, I can see that you know I'm, I'm a different prospect to, to John Redwood, yeah. And it's the same. I don't want to make it about Wokingham. It's going to be this is going to be replicated across with Lib Dem seats. It's predominantly in the south of England. Um, but trying to get people to realise that the way the system works, that tactical voting is actually the only way to, to effect change, is actually quite tough. Yeah, I think this this basic British decency. I'm going to return to it has actually been quite a, a big issue in this 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 central issue, Brexit. Uh, I, I heard a guy uh, uh, speaking in Bishop Auckland on Sky News, just a vox pop, and every time you hear a vox pop on the news, you always find that one person, male or female, who says, well, I think we've got to respect 
the result of the 2016 referendum. Now, if you or I or Alistair had half an hour with that person to sit down and say, look, it was ever so close, the, the, you know, the whole Leave campaign was probably corrupt, certainly very muddled. You were all voting for several different things. We all voted for one thing. So, come on, you only beat us 51-49. All the polls since then have suggested, actually, if you did this again, Remain might just win. All the polls suggest that actually it was a bad idea to have the referendum in the first place. But it keeps returning. And there's this guy in Bishop Auckland who said, look, I'm a Remainer, but I think the first thing we've got to do is honour the results of that referendum. And it is a very, very difficult thing. And when your leader announced that, look, this is basically an election that's masquerading as a Brexit referendum, so we are going to give you a party to vote Remain for, I wish that she'd said what you've said on the doorstep, which is, look, if you really believe that we're better off out of this, fine, that's absolutely fine. You've got plenty of other parties to vote for. But if you are a Remainer, You've got an opportunity in this election stroke referendum to vote for us. I'm going to put this question not to you, Philip, because you cannot answer it. Has she been a good leader in your estimation so far, Joe Swinson? Um, I don't think she's had a great campaign. Um, and I think there have been a series of strategic errors. Um, I didn't like the revoke policy. And the reason for that uh, is that it legitimises the idea peddled by Boris Johnson that Brexit can be resolved in a general election. And I I think that, you know, what we were doing at the People's Vote campaign was trying to persuade people that the only way to resolve this was actually through another referendum. Now, if Boris Johnson... And let's be clear, why does Boris Johnson want a ref, want to, this resolved in an election? Because he won't win 50%. No. He, he, you know, if there was a referendum, I, I, th- I think you're right. I think that we'd, we'd win it. Therefore, I, be, I feel that Swinson fell into the trap of Johnson's trap of saying, let's resolve it in an election so he can get a reasonably good majority to put through any Brexit he wants, including hard Brexit, which is not off the table. Including no deal. Including no deal. He can do that with, you know, not that much more than a third of the vote. Now, I'm not going to ask you about Joe because that wouldn't be fair, but is it a problem on the doorsteps? Are you still encountering people saying, well, yeah, but we've really got to, work. We've got to honour that. Is, that. is that the sticking point for a lot of people? It, not for a lot of people, No. no? No, but it is, I mean, you know, in my situation, the same applies at Eastern Walton and other where we're facing large Tory majorities and we're trying to overturn it with Remain voting public. Um, actually, the difficulty is, is dealing with Tory Remainers who I think instinctively it's sort of it's not cricket to override it with a, a to, to just to revoke. It's that decency, it's isn't about, it? It's about the sort of fair play, yeah. that sort of, you know, that sort of sense that you get in the British of yeah, hold on. Can, I make, can I make another point here all of the parties on the back of the referendum itself sort of allowed themselves to be swamped by this will of the people thing yeah overwhelming you know, mandate Ooh, I wait mean, a minute it, it, it's not there you know the British people have made it very clear no Absolutely. it wasn't clear and so I accept that the Lib Dems were you know, the most remain, the most anti-Brexit. But I think in that in- initial aftermath, there weren't enough people standing up and saying, excuse me, this is wrong. And what has happened is wrong. The fact that, for example, the whole thing about, you mentioned uh, Russia, you mentioned Russia yeah. earlier, the fact that it just hasn't been an issue in Parliament. The no. fact that that, that <laughs> referendum probably was, and I'm not saying it was decisive, but it might have been, but it's not even been an issue. 
because people have been so kind of overwhelmed by this thing, you know, the will of the people, the will of the people. And I think then you look at the, some of the deeper things that have happened since then. We have had quite senior politicians, including members of the current cabinet, attacking judges when one of the foundations of our entire system is the independence of the judiciary. So I think we are in real danger, if we're not careful, of sliding into something that we cannot even predict, and especially with somebody like Johnson at the helm with a lot of power. And I was saying to Philip earlier, I think one of the best arguments to use on the doorstep against people, I've been campaigning in Labour seats as well, with Labour Tory marginals, and, and, and saying to people, look, this guy is a really untrustworthy individual. I've known him for a very long time. He's an untrustworthy, unreliable individual. Power in his hands, I think, is quite a dangerous thing. Now, yes, he can be quite a joker, but we've seen, even in a hung parliament, what, he, what he's prepared to do. Lie to the Queen, proroguing parliament, uh, the, 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 the lies that he tells day after day after day. Why does he want Brexit? Why, why he does he care. and, he and care. Jacob Rees... These are wealthy people yeah. who presumably their wealth will will grow if the country's economy is healthy. No, they... Everything that I have read suggests, just about everything yeah. I've read, suggests that we're better off in than out economically. Yep. So why do these wealthy, upper-class people, why are they nailing their flag so strongly to the mask of getting out? Well, follow the money. These people don't make money from economic growth. They make money from economic turbulence. So they ride the up, they ride the down. Is it, that, is it really that sinister? If you follow where the money is coming from, and this is the comment that Philip Hammond made about financiers, in inverted commas, and the money for the Tory party campaign, actually, whether the pound goes up or down is not really relevant. It's about anticipating that and shorting it. And this is, um, or, or, or the opposite. And I think these characters don't genuinely care. And they're going to be just fine, whatever the circumstances, indeed, possibly better off because of the circumstances. Johnson himself, well, we know he doesn't Wrote really. Two, when, two when, I saw him in, when I saw him in July, he said, Philip, we've just got to get on with it. Yeah. And I said, what do you mean, what? He said, we've just got to deliver Brexit, he said, and then get back to being pro-European like we've always been. And I, and I, I, sort, of, I sort of looked at him and I said... <laughs> just like I didn't know what to say to the man. I and think, by so definition, why can what you've just said not be the lead story on the news tonight? Because that is sensational. Well, I mean, I've said people it before. People know it. People know it. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, to ambassadors. They'll they'll tell you that you know that they'll have seen Johnson at different times where he's been. You know, oh, this is. It's a game to him. That's what yeah. people have to understand. It's a game. You know, say what you like about Jeremy Corbyn, and I've said quite a few things, but he's he means of, it. He believes what he exactly. believes. Yeah. Johnson doesn't really believe anything other than the advancement of, Jeremy, of uh, Boris Johnson. Right, let's talk about doctors, because you're pretty good at that, aren't you? Philip well, is, yeah. for those people who don't know, Philip is still a practising GP. I'm enjoying this, Clive. You're, I'm being interviewed on and, the podcast. And NHS Which is I actually here. do appreciate, because I don't always take time taking the lead. I, as you said in your intro, <laughs> I have been quite critical of, of my business's portrayal of, of this whole, of the whole political scene. And this is a typical story. This idea that the Prime Minister is prepared to sell the NHS to America. I don't understand it. 
and I'm following this, yeah. there are a lot of people out there who are not really following this who have no idea what this means. Yeah. Just, just give me two minutes about the dangers of the NHS of the Conservatives getting a working majority. Okay. Brexit itself will cause a staffing crisis, is causing a staffing crisis. I, I had my little one had a bit of an accident a couple of months ago. I went to St Thomas's Hospital in London. Wonderful Czech nurse who, just in conversation, didn't know I was a politician, Clive, said she was going home. Why London's changed? What do you mean? I just don't feel that it's the same place it once was. Internally within the NHS, the, st- uh, the, the, the staff are re- uh, leaving and uh, recruitment is a difficult is difficult we're seeing today i forget it was at the health foundation 100,000 nurse vacancies over the coming few years so the actual act of brexit is going to make it difficult to staff health and social care in britain and anybody who works in the nhs knows that a large proportion of of the staff particularly in social care are people from abroad so the people who voted for brexit to stop those immigrants coming over here well, they're actually going to end up having to issue lots of visas to people to come from sub-Saharan Africa in order to be working in social care homes up and down the country. So the act of Brexit itself... the Poles and the Romanians. Yeah, exactly. It, it, so, so the act of it is going to be damaging. But specifically talking to this point of American ownership of the NHS, yes, that's possible. But actually, my deeper concern is what happened in trade negotiations with South Korea. In the trade negotiation with South Korea... The Americans said, we want access to your drug pricing, we want access to your drugs market. We want to be able to, basically our companies want to come in and sell drugs at the cost we want to, uh, prices we want to sell them. And they gave way to get their trade deal. If we do that, with the, the Americans are going to do exactly the same. And Sarah Wallace said to me in her report, the Health Committee, £10 billion a year additional drug costs. £10 billion. I mean, think about that figure. The idea that you could put Bre- that on the side of a yeah. bus, really, yeah. couldn't you? Yeah. It, 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 well, exactly. <laughs> 350 million. Exactly. Yeah? Which, by the way, was only ever a day's expenditure. You meet people on the doorsteps who think... Well, That's the other lot. day, yeah. somebody said, oh, my mum's my, my going to vote for Redwood locally because she's a Labour leaver and she wants to save the NHS. And I said, well, even if the full rebate, and we can question the £350 million access, it is only a day's expenditure. That's how much the NHS costs to run. So the impact of Brexit to to drug pricing, to uh, research, clinical trials, the European Medicine Agency has already gone to Amsterdam. The impact of Brexit is bad for the health of the nation. I know it. Sarah Wollaston knows it. Virtually every doctor in the country knows it. And, and what frustrates me is that there they are. They're lying again about 50,000 extra nurses, 19,000 of whom are actually working in the system and they're basically taking, oh, we've got to persuade them to stay. Yeah, and the 40 hospitals. Let's not forget the 40 hospitals. Yeah, which they, is actually six. six revamps. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and when I asked a question in the house of Matt Hancock, where's the evidence base for the, the decisions you're making on those hospital development programmes? No answer came. It's this word ambitions has now crept in. Presumably this has come via Cummings into the vocabulary. No, I, no, I Am, you, ambitions you, you, actually is... Policy? No, it's, it can't be, can it? No, you can. You can always, you know, you could, like if I go back to when we started in '97, you know, an ambition of full employment, or you can say you're going to transform public services. But I think what's been extraordinary about this, and this is what happens, I'm afraid, when you elect uh, a liar as your leader, you then all have to lie for him. I mean, the most excruciating moment of the week for me was watching Nicky Morgan being interviewed by Piers Morgan and Susanna Reid 
trying to pretend that these 19,000 nurses were new nurses. And Susanna Reid absolutely skewered her by saying, you know, if, 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 if I turn up to work and Piers and the others turn up to work tomorrow, does that mean that we've got three extra presenters? And she, and she said, well, it does if the other new ones come with you. And it was like, what planet are you on? I'll tell you the other thing about the health, this, this thing about the, the, tra- the trade deals. If and when we are out, if the withdrawal, agree- withdrawal agreement, it gets a majority, withdrawal agreement becomes law, and then we're out of the institutions. Only then do we start to negotiate, do the really hard stuff of negotiating the future trade, right? From a position of absolute weakness, at a time, therefore, the government starts to put lots of eggs in the American basket, where the Americans, I mean, I keep saying, any Tory I see, when they talk about they're going to get this trade deal, which part of America first don't they understand? America and the rest of the European Union will be in incredibly powerful positions. We will be weak. And so there's a real danger we get completely rolled over. So Johnson can say till he's blue in the face, no, we wouldn't do that, no, we wouldn't do that. He'll end up with no choice. And he knows that. And I think, I th- I think Philip, that, that is my biggest problem with the Prime Minister because, OK, there's, there's always going to be a certain amount of spin around politics and, and around an election. But he is looking down the camera lens, looking the nation in the eye and saying that he can get this done by the end of next year. So, uh, is that actually possible? With the greatest will in the world, is, or does he know that that is not possible and that therefore he's going to get into a situation where he can bring no deal back on the table, blame the Europeans for not helping us yeah. and actually just crash out? Well, I mean, it's actually by July because in July is when they start deciding the financial... How many years it is? I'm looking at Alistair. It's another three years. So it's actually by July that they've got to try to pull this off. The answer is No. All of the hard Brexiteers, of which I'm up against one of them, want regulatory diversions. They want to be Britain to be separate from everybody and be able to be Singapore or, you know, Singapore on Thames, you know, just away from 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 the European Union. The European Union, by the way, will not say will not sign up to regulatory divergence in any of their because they don't want a competitor under sort of undercutting them on a variety of different things. And that's before we start talking about the complexity of the Northern Ireland Republic of Ireland border. So the the thing is, they're going to seek regulatory divergence. Brussels is going to say no. And we're going to get screwed. Okay, that's what's going to happen. We're going to be left with a choice. We'll go cap in hand to the Americans who will say, of course, we'll do a Deutsche Bank deal. We want access to your drugs market and your food market. At which point, and then the public are going to be saying to us on the doorsteps, well, I don't quite like these food standards that are coming in. I don't quite like the fact that my tax is going up because I've got to pay X number of thousands of pounds for a new drug for an American pharmaceutical company. And everyone will then start to wake up the reality of Brexit. He's lying. He's misleading the public. Okay, here comes my $64,000 question. And I put this question to you in 2010. Is this a good election to lose? Is the best way forward for everybody who opposes what Boris Johnson and his government are trying to do is actually for them to have a small working majority and mess up completely so that everybody can see what you and you and I have have been hearing, but somehow the country is not hearing collectively. Is there such a thing, Alistair Campbell, as a good election to lose? I don't think so, and and particularly against the Conservatives, because the Conservatives have got a, you know, you have to look through history, they've got a pretty awesome record of hanging on to power when they get it. 
Uh, I put this to you in 2010, didn't I, when you were trying to do deals to try to to, to yeah. somehow stay yeah. in and, and I remember that lots of people were then saying, oh, let, let's sort of, you know, give up and let regroup. them take over and yeah. regroup. And well, look where that's ended up. Yeah. So, no, I, th- I, th- I look, I think the best outcome from this election is that nobody wins. And I actually think that's what, what the country wants. They don't like Corbyn much. They don't like Johnson much. Brexit is not going to get resolved by this. It's not going to get done for all the slogan sloganeering. Brexit will only get resolved if the country is allowed to vote for that. And that's only going to happen if there's a hung parliament. So what happens in a hung parliament, Philip? What what, what power would... The, I mean, let, let's, let's say it's, you know, there are 10 votes to, to play yeah. with that, that, yeah. it, that he needs. Let's say Lib Dems get... 30 would be great, yeah? yeah. 30 would be yeah. good. Let's say you've got those 30 votes. I thought, I thought, you, I thought she was going to be Prime Minister. Th- 30, th- 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 yeah. What's going on here? What's no, going no, on? No, yeah. I think that was a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Is this a change of strategy? Let's say you've got 30 seats, and let's say <laughs> you're Honestly, one of them. Yeah, thanks what, for that. what can um, you do in <laughs> Westminster to soften what the Conservative... Government well, is well I mean, on the do. doorsteps, I'm, I'm, I'm talking moderating influence. I mean, I'm, I keep saying, look... But what specifically? What can you well, stop? I, I, well, I mean, realistically, if it is... Conservatives are the largest party, which is probably the likely scenario if there's a hung parliament, uh, we're going to be confronted with the impossible position of, what do we do? Because the responsible thing is you've got to form a government. And the Liberal Democrats clearly got burnt by coalition last time round. It's, deep, it's deep-seated within the party... We're not doing that again. But you're confronted by a scenario where you've actually got to try to govern. Now, do you try to come to an arrangement where you get to a second referendum? Do you come to an arrangement where you agree to sign off? Because the key thing is budget. It's often money. You've got to come to some arrangement on what you're prepared to do. But ultimately, I think our view will be that we'll be deeply reluctant to facilitate anything that is being proposed by either party. But at the same time, we're seeking a resolution, because I agree with Alistair, you don't solve Brexit in a general election. You can only solve it in, a, in, a, in going back to the people. But doesn't he just blame you and blame Parliament all over again? Yes. Yes, but I don't know how many times he can do that. And also, you see, I, this is where I think it was such a mistake to you know, play his game of getting the election. And the fact that there was the argument about whether it was going to be on the 9th or the 12th was for the birds. I mean, the idea that there was any real difference in that. He wanted this election. There, was, there would have been no harm, to my mind, a br- bigger harm to the country. Yes, it's got to get resolved. But actually, if Johnson had been made to swing a bit and perhaps got through Christmas and into the new year, I think we were making all the, a lot of progress towards the Parliament coming to its senses and realising the only way a deal could get done is if it was attached to a second referendum. You're here for a second referendum. Are, are you as confident as you were three months ago, A, that you will get it, and B, that you would you would win it by enough for it to matter? Because 51-49-4 is not going to solve it, is well, it? Well, I've always been confident we could win it, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm less confident that it's going to happen. Um, and and I, that's why I think it was such a mistake to to give him the election. Um, you know, the People's Vote campaigns had all this, you know, mess created by its chairman. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're not in strong shape. And uh, I think the fact is, if Johnson gets a, gets a, a, a decent-sized majority, you know, I think we're going to have to look for other things to do, frankly. But I, I mean, speaking to the point you were making about maybe we've just, the public have just got to do this. They've got to experience it. And then we've got to sit here and wait, well, okay, well, we've made our point, the position clear, and we think it's bad, but maybe they've got to experience it. I mean, I've said this to you before, 
when you're dealing with patients, they often don't believe something bad's going to happen. And you keep telling them not to do something. Stop smoking. Yeah. And, drink. And, 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 and I've had these patients, I've been sort of pleading with them not to do something, and then they come to see me and say, well, I want to give up smoking, and it's because they've had a heart attack. And there is a sense, I think, and certainly I pick this up on the doorsteps, this psychology, this sense that they won't believe me. They won't believe me until they actually until it happens. Something bad happens. Now the problem, in real terms, is what does Britain do if if, if enough of the Brit- British go? Do you know what we've screwed up here? How does the European Union respond to us wanting to rejoin? In practical terms, our regulations will be broadly in however much will that some will try to change them. We won't be far removed from where they are in practice because it will take ages. To, yeah, so they're going to have to look at us well, unless they, you get an, unless it ends up with no deal. Well, exactly, but there will be. But overnight, we're not going to suddenly change our food standards. Overnight, we're not going to suddenly change. My point is, it wouldn't be as difficult for us. We wouldn't be like a normal accession country. Now, how does Berlin respond to that? How does Paris respond to that? And I suspect what they'll the response will be, okay. Yes, you can come back in a couple of years' time, but you're not going to come back on a 5149 mandate. They're going to want to know that if we come back, we're coming back for good. So this may take much longer, which is why I continue to pace up and down the pavements around here, trying to stop people from doing this. It's why I left as a minister. It's why I crossed the floor. The problem with leaving is extremely difficult to rejoin. Not impossible, but it's really, really difficult. And I just wish people didn't have to experience... The, I wish people would believe us, but there's a problem with trust. You know, I, I mean, I, it's, I used to find this, Clive, I, on, a, on a Monday morning, typically I would do a GP surgery. Between 2010 and 2015, I'd go to a surgery in Slough and people would broadly trust me. I'd make decisions about their health and then at lunchtime, I'd jump in my car, I'd drive into Westminster and I'd walk in and immediately it was almost like I became a different person. Suddenly I was not to be trusted because I went from having DR in front of my name to having MP after my name. And the breakdown in trust is fundamentally the problem here, the challenge, particularly for those of us who are trying to campaign to remain as a member. And, and until we overcome that, because I personally, if there's one thing I struggle with most, becoming a member of parliament, was the lack of trust people had in me for being a, in being a politician, having had to rely upon that trust to treat my patients. Well, and if, it, if, it, if it's any consolation, they don't trust the Prime Minister and they're probably, right now, if the polls are correct, about to give him about a 30 or 40 majority. So uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure where politicians stand a- anymore in terms of public perception. I guess we're coming towards the end. Let me throw one last big question at you. OK, I told you at the start who my mum wanted to vote for. Nobody. I tell you who I want to vote for. I want to vote for Hillary Benn and Oliver Letwin, but they're on opposite sides of the House. Is there a possibility of some scenario whereby those two people, and you, and you, and everybody of like mind, somewhere in that centre ground, can come together, and if Emmanuel Macron is having a bad time in France, as far as I'm concerned, we should put in a bid for him. Get him transferred over here. Come and lead us. If you're so not, we're, we're through the window, though. But exactly. Can't happen. <laughs> so, is, is, there, is this huge gap in the centre of UK politics, A, can the Lib Dems truly fill it? And B, if the Lib Dems do well enough in this election, will enough people like you follow behind this particular flag because that for me is is what you need to be telling people in the next two weeks look we might not win this time but if you come with us we can win 
for you in the medium-term future? Well, we were talking about this before. I don't know if you want to say something, Alistair. You know, it's, you know, I'm looking at the situation around here and it's tight and whether I win or not, let's wait and see over the next two weeks. But afterwards, I mean, what is quite clear to me is the enthusiasm for the two major parties is not great around here. You know, you've got about 20% who think around here, 25% maybe who think, yeah, yes, yes, rah, rah, Brexit, Tory, blah, blah, blah. But it's not much more than that. There are a proportion of Tory voters who around here are just like holding their nose because they don't want Corbyn. Other constituencies, you'll find that there's like, there's a Labour vote, but they're not really that enthusiastic about Corbyn. And I, I, the frustration, I guess, I think we probably all share this around here, is, is the Benat group that I participated in over the summer. I looked around the room every time we met and thinking, boy, this would be a pretty decent cabinet. This would be a, a really good way of running the country. And we, we broadly agree on the major issues. There will be some differences on level of tax or what have you. How can we bring this about? And the difficulty is the nature of our political system, first past the post, quite adversarial. It's always been red corner, blue corner with the occasional surge of Lib Dem or the SNP or whatever. I don't know what you think, Alistair, but the Lib Dems are going to have still the opportunity post this election, irrespective of how many seats they win, to grab that centre ground that you're describing. And that's their opportunity. Now, whether they take that opportunity, I will do my best, but that's where the majority of people are actually, be they, I don't like the left-right labels, but if they will allow me, centre-left, centre-right, at the moment, who do they vote for? Mm. Who do they vote for? And some of them fear Corbyn and some of them fear Johnson. So they're sort of trapped in this binary choice, perpetuated by the media in great, in, to a great extent in recent weeks. What do they do? And I'd, whether something new came through, it's difficult in British politics, on Marsh would be difficult in British politics. Whether it's the Lib Dems, well, it's up to us to take the chance, take the opportunity in front of us. But it's not easy. It really isn't easy. And um, I, mean, I, I don't know what you think. Well, I th- if, obviously, none of us know what's going to happen, but I thought Alan Johnson put it quite well the other day. He said, you know, we'll, we'll see on December the 13th whether this experiment of doing the opposite of what we did when we were winning elections actually works uh, and then on the other side, you've now got a. I mean, I saw him with Philip today. Yesterday, I was with Ken Clark. Uh, I saw Michael Heseltine the other day. I mean, the idea that Ken Clark and Michael Heseltine are not Tories is just ridiculous, and yet they do not see the Tory party as the Tory party. They see it as the Brexit party, a Brexit party which. And here's the other thing that I think might. Be, is worth thinking about whatever you think about Farage and I'm sure we all think a lot of things about Nigel Farage but he has shown that it is possible to effect major change without being in parliament and I think that what, or even standing for parliament yeah yeah no but, but it has you can't you can't deny that he's had a big impact on the future of the country and he's done that from outside parliament now you, we have a situation where if you so if I had a pound for everybody who said to me in the last few years, why can't you lot just come together and start a new party in the centre ground, yeah. right? And you've said it plenty of times, right? Well, that was kind of what Change UK was about. And it sort of imploded. And 
people can say, and the reason why it's different in France, by the way, is the system. It's a presidential system. So Macron was able to create a force that was to propel him into power and then the public elect the parliament. That's how it was a totally different system. Here, I think you're going to have to have, for a, for a genuinely new force to emerge, it either has to emerge out of something that already exists. So that might be out of the Labour Party, it might be out of the Lib Dems, it might be out of a combination, I don't know. Or it emerges as something new that starts outside Parliament. But I think that, you know, are we... I'll tell you the thing I have about this election that's really kind of... Uh, the many things that's depressing me... I'm actually finding the public quite becalmed. It's almost like they're kind of, they're looking away from it. And they're thinking, well, if that's the choice we've got, I don't particularly want to, there we are. I've just seen the headline, Johnson refuses to be interviewed by Neil. Um, so I think we're, you know, we're, 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 we're in a mess. I actually, the only thing I can see happening, I think stuff outside Parliament is going to have to take a lead beyond because i don't by the way oliver letwin and hillary ben yes they might have been able to work together on brexit but there are really big fundamental things they disagree they're not they're never going to be in the same party and i'd hate i'd hate to be in the same party as oliver letwin well we're outside parliament tonight <laughs> we're in the george in winners and you never know tonight this centrist party that i'm looking to vote for may just have started here tonight i'll hand you back to your host dr philip lee the well, future well, well, <laughs> parliamentary Candidate, <laughs> the um, par- parliamentary representative for Woking. Well, thank you, Clive, and thank you for giving me somewhat of a week off, actually, and trying to sort of coordinate the questions. It's been a, it's been a nice position to be in. I mean, as a, we have a, a tradition on the house of sort of talking about what are you going to do at the weekend, because. I mean, at the moment, my weekends are somewhat, somewhat caught up with politics, and uh, I find myself beaving around trying to. I've got a young family, but also trying to do the best I can um, in the campaign. Um, so I don't have a lot of spare time myself. I do occasionally hear your dulcet tones, Clive, watching the odd football match. What do you do, Clive, to sort of relax? You would have to be in Ireland to hear my dulcet tones this weekend. I'm commentating on Chelsea versus West Ham United for the uh, Irish television company that have the rights to the Premier League. Um, I... You do it from a studio, not from the... The stadium. You won't believe this, that I actually fly to Dublin to commentate on Chelsea, which is probably the closest Premier League ground to my house. I commentate via Heathrow from Dublin off a television set and then fly back. Do it at home. Welcome welcome to 2019. But next week, I'm commentating on two games for Amazon Prime. Yes, there's somebody else that you need to subscribe to. Burnley, all the Premier Leagues are on. No, but I know, um, but Burnley, but Man City, our game in Man City's. Yeah, well, I'm not commentating okay, on that. Well, one. I know it's on I'm commentating on Manchester United versus uh, Tottenham Hotspur. The Tottenham Hotspur manager used to be the manager of Manchester United, if you're aware of this. I'm yeah. aware of that. So that'll be quite interesting. And then I've got Brighton versus Arsenal. And then the following weekend, I've got Everton versus somebody. And on Sunday, my um, fabulous wife and I will try to play nine holes of golf just so that my legs don't seize up. Because my brain has now seized up, uh, but I am still going to vote for you, Philip. <laughs> Thank you. And what about you, Alistair? Well, I will be going. I'm going. I'm going to. Uh, what day are we today? Thursday. I'm going to. I'm doing a bit, a couple of campaign things tomorrow. I'm going yeah. to go see my old mate Pat McFadden in Wolverhampton. So I'll be Labour tomorrow, Philip. I hope that's okay. That's, that's a new fluid yeah, world. spoken for the Communist Party this week. What's no, going I won't on? Pat's pa- 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 one of the wise voices pa- of the pa- house. He's a wonderful guy. Particularly he's a on wonderful foreign guys. 
Uh, and then I'm having dinner t- t- tomorrow night with a gentleman that Clive will know by the name of Sean Deitch, who's the... Uh, we're basically the co-managers at Burnley. We pick the team on a Friday night. No, nobody knows this about this. This is because when Deitch gets the <laughs> Arsenal job, <laughs> Alistair is going to get the Burnley job. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll be staying over... Uh, I'm actually staying up to do um, a podcast interview with a very well-known Northern football personality. I won't say who it is yet. Um, and then I'm going to go to the game. Okay. Against Crystal Palace. And you? Me, I've got a Thanksgiving party uh, on Saturday night. Uh, some Yarp. friends, uh, American, uh, and uh, so I'm going down to Kent. Sorry, but in fact, Philip, Philip, I'm Philip, actually... No, no, yeah. you don't say... You just say, I'll be in the constituency, no, 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 knocking no, no. on doors no. day and night. Because, <laughs> do you know... Do you, do you know Alistair, Fighting do, for every do, vote. Alistair, we, Your you, agent you, is shaking his head. You know, no. you know that I'm doing that as well. Oh, as well as going to Kent. <laughs> But the thing is, is that I'm going down to Kent and actually the Kent-Surrey border because I'm actually, the house is just inside Sam Gimer's, uh previous constituency. And uh, Sammy, obviously, as you know, isn't here this evening. And best of luck to Sammy. He's at a hustings this evening in Kensington. Um, but I think the people that I'm going to be going down to see on Saturday night wish that Sam Gimer was still their Member of Parliament. So best of luck, Sam. Uh, thank you to Clive. Thank you to Alistair. Pleasure. And... Uh, Goodbye from the George in Winnersh in Wokingham and uh, look forward to speaking next week. Um, as ever, um, please do sign up to your podcast provider of choice um, to On the House. Um, we would And to football, feminism and everything in between, <laughs> which this week has as this guest Shelley Ann Fraser-Price, the fastest woman in the world. Sorry, I thought, I've got to do that. Well, well, of course. I mean, that's what you insisted on doing in order to be here in Winnersh, <laughs> Alistair. Um, it's a goodbye from me, Philip Lee. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. On the House was presented by Dr. Philip Lee and Clive Tilsley. Audio production and scripting was by me, Alex Reese. The producer is Andrew Harrison. On the House is a Podmasters production. <laughs>